Hello and welcome to The Art Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Cox, and on today's episode, I'm speaking with artist Marie Lenclos. Marie is a French artist who's taken the spotlight in recent years with her precise oil paintings of urban landscapes and trees. Originally from Paris, she's been living and working in London since 1995. On today's episode, we explore her younger years, painting with her father, her career as a documentary filmmaker, and how that led to her selecting unique urban compositions, which are now demanding the attention of art collectors all over. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did making it. Marie Lenklos, welcome. Hello. How are you doing? You're right. I'm very well, a bit nervous. Okay, good, good. Um, What have you been up to today before coming here? Uh, I've been at the studio all day. I've just started uh, a new collection of urban landscapes um, because I'm doing the Affordable Art Fair in October. Exciting. And I'm going back to the basics. So I've got loads of really good reference material from um, places directly around my studio, you know, the bridges that I've been painting for a few years now. And sometimes I get a bit tired of painting the same subjects Mm. over and over again. But because I've had a really good break in the summer painting trees, Mm -hmm. I've come back with a renewed appreciation for my neighborhood. Yeah. Ah, I'm so excited. I've got loads of bridge paintings to do. Amazing. Yeah. So you have um, kind of two branches, I would say, the urban landscapes and the trees, uh, the natural landscapes. Um, And is that purely just a location thing when you're away in the summertime? You... I'm basically a really boring person. (laughs) So I like to find inspiration in the immediate surroundings of wherever I am. So... I started doing the urban landscapes a few years ago when I was walking down the road. I live near Lafbrook Junction and um, the, the road nearest to me has one bridge leading up to, to where the station is. And I'd passed under that bridge a million times, like I said, uh, you know, going about my business. And that day, the bridge, which is blue was exactly the same color as the sky mm. and I just it it it, it arrested me it, I just stopped and looked at it and I took some photos I think and then after that I could never unsee the bridge if you mm. see what I mean so from that moment on I could see that bridge whatever the weather whatever the light mm-hmm. and that's how I started painting the urban landscapes and um and, that, and that's the bit for the urban landscapes. And the, the trees I paint when I'm in Brittany. Mm-hmm. So all my life I've been going on holiday in Brittany. And my parents bought this house about 20 years ago in which my dad has a sort of attic studio um, that he made for himself because he likes painting it as well. And uh, when I started painting again a few years ago, um, he let me have this tiny little corner in the studio, in his studio, next to a really small window, mm-hmm. quite dark space. And so I started doing, you know, still lives and whatever, because I was just starting again after a very long break. And and one day I saw, I 
must have been looking out the window, as you do if you're in the countryside. And I saw those trees. Mm. And so it's a group of five pine trees that I can see from that little window. And now I've been painting them for years from observation. Mm. And I think I'm coming up to about 40 paintings of them. Of those same of five exactly trees. Of exactly the same five trees. So this is quite an interesting um, part of your practice, I'd say, is this concept, almost medit meditative concept of recurring subjects. So the bridges, uh, I know often it's the same bridge. I mean, I know there are different bridges in Loughborough Junction, but it's often coming back to the same subject and almost it seems like you're trying to discover something new every time you're seeing that. Is there a philosophy to this? Is What, what is it that compels you to, to return back to that point? I suppose that's about appreciating the things around you and finding beauty in things that other people might only see sort of something mundane. I suppose in, in, in one way, it's almost like seeing something with fresh eyes, being able to look at the same thing on a different day and see it as a different thing. There's new light, there's new atmosphere, you're in a new mood. So that subject, although it appears like, you know, you're looking at the same object, it's never the same because you're looking at it with fresh eyes. Yeah, so um, the approach is really quite different from the urban landscapes to the trees, because so the trees I paint from observation. So let's say it takes me a week to do a painting of those trees. Because I'm painting from observation, the light is constantly going to change. Mm. The weather is going to change, the light of day, the sun direction and so on. And so I'm not capturing a moment in time. I'm capturing a moment over time. Whereas with the urban landscapes, I very much trust that that thing you were describing just now, which is um, seeing a moment where the light is right and where the shadows and the lines and the composition are all fall in the right sort of order mm -hmm. for me at that time in my mood. Mm -hmm. And so um, for this work, I use photographs mm -hmm. to capture those moments. And then I work from the photos. Okay, so why don't we go back a little bit into your past? What age did you start painting? Was it always painting as well? Not at all. Okay. So I started painting really young, just because my father was doing it during the summer holidays. And he used oil um, to do still lives, mostly. And when I was about 13, he set up a still life for me and I started painting during the summers mm -hmm. never did it during the sort of school year um I did art a level for which I had a ridiculous mark like really really bad okay yeah so no it was never like a, even a thought that I yeah. could ever go into that sort of business mm -hmm. um so yeah I painted as a amateur until I was maybe in my 20s mm -hmm. by that point I was an art student in London and I did do quite a bit of painting but it wasn't part of my course my course was graphic design mm. uh, I once paid my rent by exchanging a painting against a month's rent nice. with my landlord that was yeah. like the highlight of my youth <laughs> yeah and um, and then I had my daughter when I was 26 and I completely okay. 
stopped painting. Like, I never even thought about it. And was that just purely time? It was time. I was, uh, by then I was a student at the Royal College of Art. Okay. When I had her already, so she was a baby and I was an MA student. What were you studying? Uh, communication, art and design. Okay. And what was your uh, intention with taking that course at the time? So I'd done a BA in graphic design at Camberwell. And then I became pregnant in my mm -hmm. third year of my BA. So I had my daughter. And when I had my daughter, um, I didn't feel like I had finished my studies. Mm. And so... Um, I, uh, I had the intention of going to the Royal College and so I applied despite the fact I had a baby. Mm. And Quite a big thing to take on, a baby yeah. and a master's at the same time. Yeah, it wasn't very common at the time. I yeah. think it's more common now, yeah. uh, sort of student parents. Mm -hmm. The course was, um, it, it was basically, it was called Communication, Art and Design, mm. but mostly the people on the course were either illustrators okay. or designers, right. graphic designers. So um, there were some really good illustrators on my course um, whom I still very much admire now. Mm. Um, but some people ended up being painters. Some people ended up being filmmakers. Yeah. It was very free. As long as you were communicating something, mm -hmm. um, you could basically do what you wanted. So I, did, um, so I ended up doing documentary video because I wanted to talk about the isolation of mothers in the urban environment. Okay, so you were very, I suppose you were drawing from your own experience. I was. And that then led to a career in documentary filmmaking. Yeah, I did about 12 years of um, sort of freelance video making at the time when it was new that digital filmmaking mm -hmm. was available yeah. and I did everything. I did, you know, the filming, the editing, the researching, I worked for charities and local authorities. I did a lot of what's called sort of issues-based work, okay. a lot on women and families, but also on inclusive design. Yeah, it was a really rich experience. And that sort of weaned out because of the recession and people not having the sort of budgets right, okay. to do videos. This is in 2008. It was about that time, yeah. Yeah. So that forced a, 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 a new way of thinking, I suppose, when it came to your career. So it, it did. And so I went into um, sort of in parallel to filmmaking. I started teaching um, for Lambeth, teaching okay. adults um, in the community. Yeah. So, and I, so for years I ran animation workshops Okay. Um, sort of stop motion animation workshops with mm. family groups and that was great I also taught literacy and then later on I started to teach art um, to vulnerable adults and by that point <laughs> I'd started painting again yeah and wow. then with covid I stopped teaching completely yeah and went I, I got into painting full-time so because um, I know you were painting, you were getting more into your painting before the kind of pandemic period. What what point would you say where you were like, okay, this is, I, I really need to push back into painting in a significant way uh, during your uh, documentary filmmaking life? Was there a point where you, you felt, it, felt it building up? You needed to go back to it? You had something you needed to express? What was the point? 
and and I guess what kind of period of time was it when you started going okay I'm gonna I'm gonna take this uh being an artist thing more seriously I really didn't I never okay. like when I so I didn't paint for about 17 18 years mm. and during that time I don't think I really missed it mm. I never thought it was a possibility mm-hmm. um when I moved to Love for Junction there's a few um, artist studios around me, Clockwork Studios and Cold Harbor. And I used to go to their open days and think, wow, that's that's amazing, but that's completely unattainable. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way that could ever be me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the space at home and I had young kids. Um, and then, in fact, it all happened because uh, my kids grew up and... One summer in Brittany, my kids were able to go to the beach by themselves without me sort of being there. Mm. You know, they were like young teens. And so I picked up a brush again. Mm. And yeah, it all started from there. So I did a few summers of painting. Yeah. And then in 2015, I came back from the summer and I was, I was like, I don't just want it to be for the summer. You want to keep going. Yeah. So... We've spoken a little bit about how you got back into it. Where where was your first stepping stone into the business of art? When you when you said, okay, I want to start taking this more seriously, um, was it? What was your first step into into doing that? So I got into the studio in September. Mm-hmm. So exactly like seven years ago, I think. And this, where is your studio? In Loughborough Junction. Yeah, and does like, it, is it a studio complex or is it just a? industrial unit or so it's next door i don't know if you know world cinema in love junction it's a little members cinema okay in a railway arch i think i know the one yeah and at the time i was uh, this is going into sideways but at the time i was running a a children's film club in that cinema Mm -hmm. on saturdays sort of that sort of rolled off from me doing animation workshops so I was running this cinema, so I was in the building all the time. And then I heard there was a space next door, which is Art Studios. Ah, okay. um, and that's how I got a place. A what, what are the studios place. called? Do they have a name? They're or? called World Studios. World Studios. Shout out World Studios and Love Production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, right next to uh, Miguel's Boxing Gym. Yeah, yeah. Which the everyone famous, knows. Very yeah. famous, yeah. What, um, so how many artists are in your studio complex? You're still in the same studio complex now. I am. And so how many artist studios are there? So we're under the next railway arch along mm. from the cinema and upstairs. So, so like a, there's like a mezzanine type thing, mm-hmm. a level. And I work upstairs in an open plan mm-hmm. uh, with sort of partitions. And we're about 15 of us. Okay. Yeah, quite a few then. Yeah, it's really, it's just amazing. I've learned everything from um, my studio mates. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a big um, eye-opening moment, isn't it? I I think for a lot of people, myself included, the first step of how do I take this more seriously was let me get a studio. Initially with the idea of I just need the space, but then you're surrounded by the community and then you get the ideas and the tips and the the progress starts to be made, right? That's exactly right. So um, that's exactly, that was my thinking. You know, I just need a space and it needs to be really cheap. So mm-hmm. I had a tiny, tiny studio. I mean, yeah. it was about a meter and a half by two meters. Wow. And that was for quite a few years. I had yeah. that, that sort of space. 
Um, but the bonus was being, being surrounded by um, generally much younger people than me um, mm. who had left college and had started their life as uh, in illustration mostly. Yeah. And I could see how hard they were working and I could also see what they were projecting on Instagram. Mm. And I could see the relation between the real life and the sort of pers the public persona. Yes. And I could see that you can make both sort of connect. You yeah. don't have to project something that's fake. Yeah. And but that behind all the nice work that people are presenting, there's a hell of a lot of work behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a sure. very formative for me. And so, okay, so then you got the studio. What was the next steps from there? Yeah, so I moved in in September. And in about October, one of the girls from the studio said, um, let's have a meeting about the Christmas open studios, like the Campbell open studios. Mm. And I was like, what? I've just arrived. But that was a massive drive for me. So I, I painted like a maniac um, so that I could have something on the walls basically two months after I moved in, mm -hmm. two or three months after I moved in. And at that first exhibition, I sold some stuff, mm -hmm. which it was mostly still lives at the time and some portraits. And so that was the beginning. And then after that, I did um, a lot, for a few years, I did a lot of uh, community events like this, the Open Studios, the Dulwich Open House. Mm -hmm. I did the Lambeth Open and I did the Brixton Urban Art Fair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just I took any opportunity to show my work yeah. in cafes, like like really obscure places, actually. Yeah, yeah it's like a kind of classic first step. You have to just say yes to everything uh, until it starts to crystallize. And then you start to understand where you can start to say no as, as you get busier and as you start to find your base. Um, so more recently, since we've met, I mean, how long ago did we meet? Maybe a year or two? A or couple of years ago, I think. A couple of years least, ago, yeah. yeah, via Mark Pearson. Probably, Who we've yes. had on the podcast. So now, how, how would you say you operate? I know you're doing the other art fair. Is that quite a big part of your sort of art calendar in the year? So I did do the other art fair twice. Okay. But it's the affordable art fair I'm doing. Oh, sorry, yeah. This time. Okay. So, I, um, yeah, so after the sort of um, cafe shows and open houses and things like that, um, I started uh, entering my work in competitions mm -hmm. because they result in group shows in, you know, good galleries in the West End. And, uh, and then I uh, met Gina Cross. Okay, yeah who um, was running a sort of online gallery yeah. and who has a lot of experience in exhibiting artists and sort of helping artists. And she is the one who encouraged me to do the affordable art fair uh, for the first time. Yeah, She took me on for yeah. that and it was a success. Um, she made me raise my prices, which was really scary at the time. Yeah, uh, But actually, from I, I suppose... That was the push I needed mm. to believe in painting being a sustainable way of living. Yeah. And yeah, since then I've done... So that was in 2018, I think. The yeah. first show I did with her. 
And since then, I, I've done a lot of group shows through uh, entering competitions and prizes. Mm. And uh, I did the other art fair twice, just after the pandemic. Okay, yeah. Because uh, I'd never done it before, and it felt like a really good way of going back into exhibiting. Absolutely. So the other art fair is probably one of the largest uh, artist-led fairs in the UK, I'd say, uh, in terms of the kind of promotional capacity. Uh, and you know, it's one of the ones, it's a classic, the artists say, well, it's not cheap to take part, but plenty of artists take part pretty frequently so it obviously does them quite well um so yeah how how, did, how was your other art fair experience i do remember that it seemed like an enormous investment mm -hmm. it was seven six hundred pounds the first time i did it to have a three you know five meter stall and <clears throat> i thought you know what are you doing you're just throwing away your money and it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, the yeah. team is, is great. Yeah. And I sold, I don't know, maybe eight paintings that first time I did it. Fantastic. Yeah. And I, I'd say to anyone who's hesitating about doing something like that, the value comes in meeting your audience and making new contacts face to face. Mm. Um, this was particularly important after the COVID period. I think it makes a huge difference if people who are thinking about buying art can meet you and have a chat with you about your work. Yeah. The art becomes um, a personal thing. Yeah, I mean, art is, yeah, it, it's a story as well, right? Like when someone buys your artwork and it's hanging on the wall at home, someone says, oh, wow, that's a beautiful artwork. And then comes the story. So, oh, this this lady, Marie Lenclos. Yeah, I met her at, at this fair and she was telling me all about her life and her, her family and her, the colour that she uses and, and, and suddenly it becomes a discussion. So I, I do, yeah, I'm fully with you there that, you know, it's part of what I do here at the gallery. You know, people come in, they see me like a fish in a bowl and they come past again and they see me finishing the artwork and they want to come, oh, I saw you starting that this week and it, it becomes this connection uh, and I think actually in a world where we have a lot of mass produced items, you know, an original piece of art from a person, you know, in your area or even doesn't even have to be in your area, but from a person who's projecting and communicating a story about their life and about their passion, it's an extremely valuable thing. I think that's that core attraction to, uh, to what we do as artists, you know. Um, and I have to say the... The, the English people, people in England, mm. not just English people, <laughs> people in England have a, a real energy in appreciating artists' work. Mm. Like, you know, I was for five weeks in France this summer and I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly well established here now. And I am no one in France. I, yeah. there's, I don't see like a similar way of um, approaching people. I, th I think here people, maybe it's London, but I, I mean, I have buyers from all over the place, uh, not just London. People are happy to, um, to invest in someone else, someone else's work. Mm. I think that's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, there's definitely uh, uh, an energy in London. And, uh, and the UK, for sure. I mean, we've got lots of art schools, haven't we? And we have lots of different 
international exhibitions happening. It is one of the big hubs. But then I guess, you know, they say so is Paris. Um, and yeah, maybe you're not getting the same energy there. I suppose you also live here. So maybe you have <laughs> the added benefit of being fe- uh, having feet on the ground. Silly question. Or maybe not. What's your favorite color? <laughs> uh, my niece was asking me that this summer. Uh, she's like seven. And my answer was, it's all the colors. Yeah? Yeah. I don't, I don't, for me, a color is only beautiful because of its context. Yeah. So any color can be beautiful Mm -hmm. because of the context in which it exists. So, you know, a gray, I wouldn't say gray is my favorite color. Yeah. But sometimes you can have the most beautiful gray, uh, brick next to a a red brick Mm. and suddenly the fact that there's a red one next to it makes that gray brick look you know luminous and Mm -hmm. and unique yeah your so your work is quite i would say um it, it has abstraction in its nature i can see how you open up the landscape um and the angles of your scenes um however it also has quite a realist nature as well it's very precise it's very fine did you always paint in this way did you always have this quite precise approach to your painting no that evolved over time when I first started painting again I suppose I was you know much more impressionistic Mm -hmm. and my mark making wasn't precise at all in fact it was probably quite blurry at time Mm. at times even though I've I've mostly always done um, sort of uh, figurative work. But I think the abstraction in my urban landscapes actually comes from the fact I went through a, a big, big phase of doing abstract work, which was very structured. So mm. I did paintings which were basically lines that I drew on the canvas, and then I filled each line with a gradient of color. Mm. And I was experimenting with shapes and how coloring the shapes um, creates volume depending on how you create gradients within the shapes and what colors you you use next to each other. And I did that for quite a long time until I realized that the landscapes I could see around me in the city as I was walking around were basically shapes of color, mm. just like the abstract paintings I was doing. So I sort of transferred the abstraction that I'd been experimenting with onto a, a figurative subject, which is a city. Mm-hmm. And now when you walk down the street, you see something that inspires you. Do you almost see it in your style? Do you, do you have that kind of picture of like how you would paint it? Or do you just see it and you go, cool, I'm capturing this moment and I'll figure out how to do that later? If I stop and photograph a scene it's because I know there's potential for a painting. Mm. I don't always know exactly, like you say, you know, how I'm going to do it. But the light is right. Mm. The light has to be magical. That's mm. the first thing. And the shadows that are projected draw interesting lines that break the landscape. I sort of know when all the elements are there. Mm. And then, yeah, I'm going to work out all the detail, such as getting rid of all the graffiti and yeah mess (laughs) so you cleanse it out you make sure there's no litter in your scenes it's the idealized london (laughs) well some people say that i don't think it's idealized this if i look at 
if I'm walking down the road in Lafra Junction mm. or in Brixton and I see a beautiful scene, then the people and the cars and the rubbish mm. and, and, you know, that all fades away. Mm. I'm just looking at that structure and that, mm. those colors. And that's, I suppose that's what I'm then communicating in my painting. It's, it's, they're very linear, very um, structured around the perspective of the scene. Yeah, I, I know in a lot of your scenes, you've got quite strong sort of single point perspectives or sometimes a two point perspective, but you can see those lines and they're, they're very direct. So how much of your past career as a documentary filmmaker, how much do you think that influences the work that you do now? Um, and what aspects of that career in film were transferable into being an artist? The main thing is the framing. So when you're filming, because I was doing documentary, I was mostly interviewing people about their life, but I needed cutoffs. You know, I needed, uh, I don't know what it's called, B-roll. I needed some uh, context images yeah. to put to their interviews. So I ended up filming a lot around the neighborhoods that I was interviewing these people in, mostly a lot of Hackney, a lot of South London. And so I, you know, I'd, I'd be on my way to an interview and I would have my little camera and start filming what I could see that could potentially be interesting. Mm. And then when I stopped filmmaking, I had a few years of just teaching and I realized that I was still walking around with my sort of framing, framing mechanism in my head. So I would see a landscape and or just walk down the road and, and think, oh, that'd make a really good shot for a documentary, which I was no longer making. <laughs> and yeah. I suppose, yeah, I've transferred that into painting. So now I can make paintings out of all those lost shots. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting you say that. So when you talk about the paintings that you do, how there are no people in the paintings, but actually when you relate it to your career before, all those scenes of the streets were about a person, but a person placed in that area. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really, I find that really interesting how actually, despite there being no people in those scenes, your history of creating those scenes and capturing those scenes is all about people. I That's find an that, interesting yeah. Uh, interpretation yeah I hadn't thought of that I'll take that <laughs> it makes my work a bit more human <laughs> uh, well no I think there is a, a very human nature to your work it, it captures people definitely it captures me I really really like it um, you often talk on your Instagram uh, and on social media and you sh shower a lot of praise on your framers and I know that you you often say that, you know, for you, the framing of the artwork and not just the framing in your head when you see something on the street, but in terms of the, the physical frame on your canvas, uh, it plays a big, big role in your in your work and how you see um, your work becoming a, a sort of finished artwork. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So I uh, started using Hawkins framing a few years ago, maybe three years ago, four years ago. I yeah. don't even remember. Um, where, where is, where is uh, Hawkins based? They're now based in Sydenham. Okay. They used to have a shop on Lordship Lane, but they they stopped using the shop during the pandemic. Right. And they, on, they operate from their workshop now. Okay. They're extremely well kitted. Mm -hmm. Like they, they can, they mill all their wood. 
So they can create oh, wow. basically any profile of frame that you can think of. Mm. Um, and they're hugely professional. Um, it's For me, it's an absolute pleasure working with uh, crafts people and sort of, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, but they're basically artists that complement my work. So mm. as much as I love the frames, I think I love the experience of, working with a team that com that complements my work and mm. I love paintings unframed in fact at home I have a lot of unframed paintings that I've bought from other artists yeah. and I don't always feel the need to add a frame to a painting yeah. but I got into the habit of framing my work because I could see how it was um, finishing the work mm. and uh, for shows and exhibitions Often you need your work to be framed. Mm. And I'm just using the best framers yeah, yeah. out there to, uh, who come up with innovative mm -hmm. sort of ideas and creative ideas on how to beautify the painting. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting joinery. And uh, yeah, I, they sometimes, did they do some, some metal frames for you as well? They yeah. did, yeah. Once we had a, a, a rusted uh, steel frame for mm. a painting I did of... Um, the cement works in Whitstable, mm. which is by the right by the sea, and it's sort of it was so topical, and it just mm. oh, it was just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, nice. Very heavy, but brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so I have a question that I ask all of my guests: Who is your favourite contemporary artist living? That's a really hard question. <laughs> uh, um. Okay, can I give you three names? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I love the trees of my fellow South London painter, Martin Grover. Okay. He's yeah. been doing this series of um, tree, dead tree paintings that he finds in Brockwa Park, mostly. Um, and I think they're extremely skillful and they have a lot of emotion in them. So he's very much living, and he's very much part of my, my artist life. We're doing a show together in November at uh, Curious Kudu in Peckham. Okay, nice. And then uh, another person that I think is extremely good is Sholto Blissett. He's yes. a very young artist who came out of the Royal College of Arts painting uh, during the pandemic. And I started, uh, I discovered his work and bought two of his small paintings oh, nice. thanks to the artist support pledge. Ah, yeah, yeah. And he just has a way with painting nature, mm. which I find beautiful. It's very classic. Yeah. Uh, and very sort of... Uh, um, what's the word? Sort of almost magical. Mm. Um, I've seen, he's I've now seen pictures of his work. I've never seen it in person, but it, it does have that very sort of classical feel to it, doesn't it? He does. He's, mm. he's doing a lot more buildings within nature now and okay, buildings yeah. being taken over by nature. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he's just like a young talent that's going to, I think, go very far. I've seen he's been taken up by the, the unit, uh, which is in Mayfair. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, so, happy days. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's definitely a, a, a great artist in the making. Yeah. 
And then the other painter, the last painter that um, inspires me, he does... Oh, God, there's so many painters I love, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. Now I'm not going to go in a completely different direction. Um, There's a painter that I love called Daniel Shadbolt. Okay. And he uh, is a painter mostly of still lives, but also some portraits and uh, some landscapes. He's very much a contemporary. Uh, He lives in Notting Hill. And I've got two of his paintings at home. Mm-hmm. and yeah so you've I, collected a few you, you're a bit of a collector as well then well thanks to the artist support pledge uh, i yeah. i was able to buy uh, a few artists that i discovered or mm. knew about um, so for, for people listening the artist support pledge if you haven't heard of it uh was a great um sort of scheme that i, I think he's called matthew burrows um yeah. he came up with it and it was a way of artists um during the pandemic when all the galleries had closed um a way for artists to sell their work and they did this hashtag artist support pledge and you can find it on instagram an artist would offer a load of work for i believe it was no more than 200 pounds or thereabouts um and yeah it was a great for for some people it it really you know it, it did a lot did you take part in the artist support pledge did you present any works for sale for 200 pounds during that time i took part like a crazy woman yeah literally for the first three months of uh the the lockdown the Mm. first lockdown that's all i did was doing artist support pledge paintings i sold something like 80 paintings from through the artist support pledge yeah the the most important part of the artist support pledge is as an artist you're offering up your work Mm. for less than 200 pounds and the pledge bit is that when you've earned a thousand pounds, you pledge to buy another artist's work for two hundred pounds. Right. Okay. Which yeah, is yeah, why yeah. I've been able to start collecting mm. because I completely honoured the promise, yeah. which was to spend two hundred pounds out mm-hmm. of every thousand I made into uh, to buy to the feed work back of another. Into the ecosystem. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. yeah, it's been wonderful. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think I did so during the artist support pledge. I think I did three. And then I don't know, in my mind, I was like, oh, well, they're 200 pound pieces. So I'll do like smaller ones. Um, actually, it was the thing that started me painting mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do a couple of ink sketches. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I just want to do paintings and yeah. I just want to do big paintings, but I can't sell them for 200 pounds. No. So in the end, I, I ended up going off track and off piste. But you know, you were asking about my. Um precision Mm. so to do the artist support pledge in the same way as you i had to go small in order to sell the work you know you have to be logical with how you price your work of course so i went sort of post postcard size Mm. did canvases that were sort of that small and because i did urban landscapes i had to train myself through practice Mm. to remain precise even though the size was really small so i started using really small brushes like single hair sort of brushes almost like miniature sort of brand i can't do it i can't do it it gives me a panic attack thinking about it i can't go i got to love it so much and so i think through that practice of uh doing really small work Mm. almost like miniature work yeah 
I've, that's how I've learned to be more and more precise. It's been an yeah. amazing school. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. the benefits of the artist support pledge, yeah. you know, go way beyond what anyone could have imagined. Yeah, I mean, it became a, such a huge movement and I, I still see people doing it now. Yeah. I still yeah. see people doing it now. So, yeah, for all the budding art collectors out there, hashtag artist support pledge. There's some great stuff on there and it's cheap as chips. So, yeah. well, expensive chips, but <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a good thing to find. And it's good for the artists. So Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let's uh, wrap this up now. Um, so we have got um, South of the River coming up. So this is an exhibition at the Tom Cox Gallery, uh, which is going to be... On the 8th of September, that's the launch night from 6 till 9pm. And it is going to be open to the public from the 9th to the 2nd of October, I believe. Might need to double check those dates, but I'll put a link in it. Um, you are taking part in the exhibition. We've got about 14, 15 artists. Um, what, what are you giving us for the show? And uh, yeah. Tell us. <laughs> it was very frustrating that we could only apply with one piece of work <laughs> um, because the one piece of work that I thought might uh, be chosen by you, so basically the best one, mm. sadly is not a scene from South London. <laughs> it's a scene from East London. Yeah where I've been going quite a bit because I had a show up there mm. um, a few months ago. And it's, uh, uh, it's a picture that's, uh, that represents a building sort of uh, face-on mm. that has um, loads of lovely critical windows and it's sort of um, factory-like. And the colours are brilliant. It's quite a graphic painting with... Yeah. Uh, colors that are not part of my palette normally like mauve and pink which i mean i do, do use quite a lot of pink but mauve that was new mm. uh mauve and oranges and quite strong blues yeah it's a really interesting painting quite different from my usual stuff yeah well we we really liked it when you when you applied with it and uh yeah we're very excited to show it and uh yeah it may not be a scene of south london but that was not the criteria the criteria for our exhibition was uh, artists from South London. I'm definitely uh, from South, South London, London via so. Paris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, via Paris, exactly. Um, okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. If people want to find you on Instagram, what is your Instagram handle? It's Marie Lanclos. Yeah. Underscore, I think it's called. Okay, yeah. Painting. Okay. Yeah, so uh, my name, underscore painting, and my website is just my name.com. Perfect. Cool. So we'll put a note in that in the episode show notes. Uh, thank you very much, Marie, for coming on. Thank you very much. All right. Cool. And guys, we hope to see you uh, at the exhibition. If you want to come to the launch night, you can find I will put a link to the Eventbrite. Please RSVP um, and hopefully see you then. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. Um, and yeah, like we said, I'm going to put a link in the show notes if you would like to RSVP and attend the private view 
of our exhibition South of the River. It is launching on Thursday the 8th of September from 6 until 9pm and the exhibition will run from the 9th of September open to the public all the way until the 2nd of October. The gallery open hours are 10am to 5pm Thursday to Saturday and 11am to 4pm on Sundays. Have a lovely week and I'll hopefully see you soon.